What is up, everybody? How are you guys doing? It is exciting. It feels like it's kind of a gloomy day because I think it's just because the lights are not on right now. But I mean, the clouds are out, the lights are not on. I don't know if we're trying to give a feel right now or not, but you know, but I'm kind of feeling in the opposite. Thank you. Let there be light. Let there be light. Um, but just really excited today. Um, you know, excited for multiple different reasons and multiple different um, purposes. One, um, just coming back off a vacation. That's always good. Just coming back. Angie and I got the, had the ability to get away for a week. We, one of our daughters had a study abroad um, in Croatia. And so like any good parent, we decided we needed to take her there and just make sure that she was good and all was well with her. And so we went over there and decided to stay even after dropping her off for a little bit. So that was really um, a fun time. So just going up to Croatia was good. Also, um, I'm excited because today is church in the park. I'm just excited. I know, you know, for some of you guys who don't know church in the park, the quick story about church in the park, about really, well, about 12, 13 years ago when we started Blueprint Church, we were in for about the first five months and then the church decided, right, the, or the place that we were meeting and decided, hey, you guys can't meet here this week. And we were like, well, that's not how it works. Like, we got to have a place to, to gather. And so um, they was like, well, we're going to renovate the bathrooms. And so we were like out of space for a week. But praise the Lord in, in advance, basically months before we had it set up that that day after service, we were going to go in the park. So throughout that week, we were searching, we were looking for all the different spaces and then at the end of the day, we didn't have it. And so we ended up meeting at the park. But we made everybody think that it was planned from the beginning, that we were there, that we were celebrating Church in the Park. And ever since that, we have um, did it every year to remind ourselves of God's provision and God's faithfulness. And the fact that even today that we're able to worship in a building is, again, a reminder of God's provision and God's faithfulness over the years that he has had us at Blueprint Church. And so I'm just really excited. So Church in the Park always gets me excited. And I don't know how many of you guys are going to be playing in the three-on-three tournament. We got anybody playing, like actually playing? Like we got some, we got some tournament, yes. Uh, you know, I think I won it two years ago, just saying. Um, I may or may not be playing today. So I'm a last minute, last minute um, person. It's, that's all according because my wife, every time I, I started playing basketball, when I got to a certain age, my wife, would, her last words to me would always be, don't get hurt. And whenever like those are the last words that you go out before trying to compete, that's one of those things that you don't want in the back of your mind, don't get hurt. So as long as she doesn't say don't get hurt, I'm going to be out there playing. But if she says it, then I'm not. I'm not going to get it. <laughs> She's already said, don't get it. It's not, I'm not listening. I can't hear you right now. So, but I'm just, I'm, but I am. So I'm excited about church in the park. I'm excited about all things. We got to find a way to do this. I know that we do this like right after like our college students. So I do want to take some time to pray for those college students that have, you know, that have went away for the summer. I remember for me in college, those are some of the hardest times as a believer. You know, you had good community, good things in the community, and then you would go home and you'd just be by yourself you know, and just trying to work it out on your own. And so just like we want to make sure that we're praying for our college students because a lot can happen over the, the course of these two months that they are back home. We pray that they would have good community and good protection, you know, around them. We also want to pray for the college graduates. We are excited about the college graduates. Graduates, that is always exciting. Both college, middle school, my son, my youngest son graduates this week. He's not from college, but from middle school. But um, I'm not that old, right? But, and so 
he's graduating, but college graduates. And, and, and so I'm just excited about college graduation. And I'm also excited to welcome a lot of my family here. So if you guys would stand up like some of my immediate nuclear family, stand up, stand up, stand up real quick in the back. We are actually, they are actually here celebrating one of my cousins who are graduating from Spelman, who I didn't meet Spelman College today, which I didn't even know when my, my cousin went to school at college to Spelman until the announcement was made that we we're celebrating in there. And I was like, I felt a certain type of way. I was just like, how did you come here for four years, go to school and not me not even know that you were here? But you know, I'm over it now. We are going to celebrate. I'm not, I am going to go to it, but I am excited about them. They represent about 30 um, of, of my family that are here together. So it's sort of like a family reunion. One of the things that's it's special to me to see my family and to have my family here because um, this past year, my grandmother passed away and she was dear to me. And my grandmother, Lily Pruitt, she was the matriarch of our, of our home. And she was the, the person who kept us all together. You see, um, I grew up in, in a home with four strong women you know, and uh, 10 other cousins, you know, brothers and cousins. And, you know, and so some of them are represented here. My mom, who is here, my, one of my aunts, Nika, who is here, Janice, um, who is here, who's, who's actually the grandmother who's graduating the daughter. But these four strong women set a, a strong precedent in our lives that we grew up in, in some of the sad reality that so many of our homes are raised today without a male in the home and these women stood in the place for us to raise up, um, raise up men, you know, and so we had basically, so this is really the first time I think in my life that I've had like my aunts and I've had all 10 of my cousins that are here that are first cousins because I grew up with cousins but we grew up in the same home so it felt like they were cousins, but they were like brothers and sisters. So we grew up together. We grew up as one. And so all 10 of us are here. We're celebrating. They came. They didn't come to support me, all of them. But it's, it's okay. We'll talk about that later. Um, but they're here. And we're just, I'm, so I'm excited. So there's so many things that are going on. I'm going to get to the message. But there's so many things that's going on today that is just really excited. You know, that makes me excited about today and um and it was really to my surprise that about a couple of months ago when Nika my aunt aunt Nika she called and says hey I'm getting all of the family all of the cousins all of the aunts and we're all coming together and it was just like oh man that was a surprise and that was a joy and I was just like excited uh, I don't know about you how many of you guys like surprises does anybody you guys like surprises you like, you like a little you know some people are kind of shaking how many of you are good at keeping surprises right right <laughs> How many of you try to make it your ambition to know of every surprise that you are in, that, that, is, that is a part of, like, that some of you, like, that's Angie, like, I can never surprise, like, that's part, one of my bucket lists, to actually do something where she's actually surprised, you know, but, but that is, that's the, the, the thing, is that we all desire, we all have kind of surprises, and one of the things I've learned is that my youngest son, Nathaniel, who's about to graduate, if I'm ever trying to surprise his mother, never tell him. And there are certain people that you recognize that you don't tell certain things to, right? If you, especially if you are trying to surprise, because they cannot hold water. They cannot hold it. They are going to spill it all, and they're going to let you know, and they're gonna, then they're going to apologize. Well, I didn't, you know. And so I've just learned, you know, and all of that. But today we're going to be talking about a surprise. We're going to be talking about a mystery, a mystery that has been kept, that God kept for 
generations and generations. It's a mystery that we've been talking about. It's a mystery that we found in Christ. And it's, a, it's something that we've read in the scriptures already. And that is kind of Paul is going to double click on because in these first couple of chapters in the book of Ephesians, he's been talking about this mystery. He's going to double click on it in chapter three before he goes into our part of the mystery of what we do in light of the mystery. And he's going and basically says, I just want to make sure that you understand what's happening and what's going on, that God has a surprise that it's a mystery. And this mystery has been hidden from generations to generations and is now be, will be revealed in the church. And so let me pray again and then we'll jump in and ask the Lord to be with us. Father, Father, we're thankful for this time. Lord, we pray, God, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable to you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bible, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And really what we're going to be talking about today is how God has unveiled this mystery in him, in Christ. We've been in this series called In Him, In Him. And so we said we was going to break this up into three sections that we spent the first section breaking down chapters 1 and 2, talking about and declaring that we are his workmanship. That it's in him, God is doing a supernatural thing that he is working in and through each and every one of us. We talked about how God the Father chose us and adopted us, how God the Son redeemed us and united us, and how God the Holy Spirit sealed us right, and guarantees that he's coming back for us, right? So we talked about that in him that we are his workmanship, that, he, that we talked about how God made us alive in Christ Jesus, that we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive in him, and we now um, can declare that we have, that those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we can say that we have saved by grace, what is grace? That it's unmerited favor. It's not something that is earned. It's not something that is deserved. That it's unmerited favor. That if, God, if I were to die today and stand before a holy and perfect God, that I wouldn't list out any of my resume about how, God, you need to accept me because I pastor, because I preach, because I did all those things. But I would say, Jesus, the only reason why I am accepted is because I am in him. It's because Christ died for my sins that he was buried, that he lived the life that I could not live, and he died the death that I was supposed to die so that I may be hidden in him, in Christ. And so we talked about that, but he says that, he says basically we are saved by grace, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works so that no man could boast. Basically, he goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 and said. 2 and 10, and he says, for we are his workmanship. We are his poema. We are his masterpiece. We, you and I, are God's masterpiece. That he is displaying something in us, right? How many of you guys, like, you guys, you know, you talk about mystery. Do you guys know what this is? You know what this is a picture of? Right? I was asking, I was looking for an illustration today that's talking about God's masterpiece. And, and I started, you know, talking to my, one of my daughters. And one of my daughters was like, I just need something that is kind of like knitted together. And, I, you know, and she was like, here, Dad, take this. And so we, we took this. This is a great masterpiece that's it's in the making. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Right? 
And that we see, but in this, you know, there, I don't know what this is called. What is this called when you do this? Latch hook. I didn't get like background. I just said, give it to me. Let's just go. But so, but this, in this latch hook, thank you for clarifying that. Basically, this is made up of 13 different threads or 13 different yarns that is, that is all going to be woven together. You know, and, I, and you know, now as I was talking to her, she was just like, hey, I started this, I'm doing this, and it's, it's not done yet, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to complete it. And so, like, and so she started putting these 13 different threads, and she started weaving them together to start putting this masterpiece together. And so what we see in the Bible is that Jesus said that he is weaving things together. He's weaving Jew and Gentile. He says that we are his masterpiece, but he says we are his workmanship created for good works. We are created. So he says we've been saved by grace, not by our works, but we've been saved for good works. And then he goes on in chapter 2, 11 through 22, and he basically goes on and explains. He says, listen, let me make sure you understand. Not only did God weave and reconcile those who were far, made them near, not only did he do that vertically between God and man, but he also did that horizontally, you see, because sin created this division. This division, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, basically there was two relationships that were broken. The relationship, one between God and man, and the other was the relationship between man and woman, man and man. We were broken. We were broken. And so what we see is that God, that in him, the, the Bible tells us that he weaves back this broken relationship between uh, vertically, but also horizontally. That he does this. And so now we're looking at the second part of our series. The first one was talking about his workmanship. This part, the next four weeks, before we celebrate our fathers, the next four weeks is going to be talking about his multifaceted wisdom or his manifold wisdom. That in him, God is doing something. That he's weaving, he's making all of this together for a purpose and for a reason that he has. But before, and so as we look over these next four weeks, over chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul wants to double-click and he wants us to understand, let me go and kind of create this parenthesis. In chapter 3, what we'll see is that chapter 3 is sort of like a, a reiteration of what we already heard in chapters 2 and begin in, in earlier. That he's re reiterating what was going on. And so in here, what we want us to understand is that there's three things. One, we want to understand uh, concerning this revelation, the point of God's mystery that he revealed to us. We're going to look at the purpose of God's mystery revealed. And then what are some of the prerequisites of fully comprehending God's mystery, right? The point of his mystery, the purpose of his mystery, and some of the prerequisites of fully comprehending this mystery. Let me reread um, a, por a portion of this. In um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, for this reason. So that right there in your Bible, you're supposed to stop and recognize that like some of your Bibles may have therefore or some for. Basically what it's saying is that as a result of what we just read, what did we just read? That Christ is, that we are Christ's workmanship, that we are God's masterpiece, right? That he, we are saved by grace, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. And so now Paul comes in and says, because of this, as a result of this, as for this reason, I, Paul identifies as the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the administration, or another word of the commissioning, 
the, the, the purpose that has been given to me of God's grace that was gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand, in, understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generation and is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So basically what Paul is saying is that, listen, God has been holding back this mystery. God has been keeping this kind of surprise party back for, for generations and generations. That generations have come and generations have gone, but he was always intimately working something together ever since the, the, the division between God and man took place because of sin and the impact that man and woman or man and man had because of it right? God has been doing something. He's been working something out. And when, while some of it has been completely understood and known, some of it has been a mystery. Some of it has been a mystery. And so what Paul is saying is that like this mystery that God has given to me and he has made me, um, you know, be a part of and to, to declare that he's given to me, I now basically declaring to you. And in here, you see a couple of hints that are there that you see basically the passion of Paul, of him going out, that he really wants us to understand this mystery. Chapters 4 through chapter 6 is going to go in and talk about what we are to do in light of the mystery. But the first three chapters only have two things that we are called to do. And we'll talk about that. But all up until this point, all we have seen is what Christ has done. We have seen his work. We have seen his activity, that we are recipients of what God is doing in here. And so that's one of the things you see Paul's passion. One of the other things that you see about Paul's passion is that this is the second run-on sentence that if you were to look at it in the Greek, right, chapter verses 2 all the way to chapter um, verse 12 is another, 13, is another run-on sentence, very similar to what we saw in the first chapter. You remember we talked about how God says God the Father does, and he's just like going on, and then he just kind of spontaneously bursts into prayer in chapter 1. He's just like he began to pray. Th that same pattern happens again, that Paul was just like, listen, let me make sure you understand this mystery. And so he goes in again, and he begins to preach, and he begins to, to, to lay it on. And then what we're going to see in the same way is that in chapter 3, the second half, which we'll talk about next week, he goes back into prayer. He says, listen, like, I want you so bad to get this. And I know that you're not. Let me just pray for you. And he says that in him. And see, because what's happening right now is that some of the people have started to get discouraged about what's taking place, specifically in the church. Because in him that we already talked about, there, there, there's, we said that his masterpiece is that he's torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Right? And that, like, message wasn't a message that many people wanted to hear. That wasn't a message that people wanted to grab onto, that he's reconciled enemies, enemies, first enemies of God. Christ said that God demonstrates his love for us while we were enemies, Christ died. But not only does he reconcile that, that we were enemies with God, but he says the enemies that we have in the flesh, he's also reconciling that. He's also reconciling that. Right? And so in here, Paul basically breaks it down and he says that at the very beginning, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. 
Why does he say he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles? There's a couple of things. Like, Christ didn't put Paul in prison per se. But you see, Paul had a theology, even though he was officially a prisoner of Caesar, he recognized that I serve a God who is sovereign. And even though Caesar may be the reason that I got put behind bars or I'm a prisoner of Caesar, Christ in his work has put me there. And why did he put me there? He says, because of the work that I did on the Gentiles. If you were to go back in, the, in this right here in Ephesians, you would recognize that Paul was in prison in Rome because of the Jews who got frustrated about the message that Paul was preaching. They didn't like the message. They had a problem with the message. Not only did they not like the message that he was preaching about Christ being a man, being God and man, not only did they not that are he being the Messiah, but they also didn't like this message that you are preaching a faith that you are now welcoming in our oppressors. And I got a problem with that. And so there's a bunch of problems that's going on right now. And so Paul is now in prison because he believed in the gospel that was to be preached, not just to his people, but to all people. And so his people put him in jail. And he says, even if I didn't want to preach this, I have to preach it. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I've been giving the administration. I've been commissioned by God to do this, right? This mystery that even though at the very beginning, because if you look, if you trail back to Israel's history, that from the beginning, God had a people that he intentionally separated from the rest of the people. And so, and this is the reason why in the Bible, when you ever hear the word both Jews and Gentiles, you understand that what's going on is that there was a group of people that were God's people, and they claimed, and they were the Jews, right? That, 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 that they were the Jews, and the Jews, and this term basically referred to a people who were both kind of understood that they worshipped Yahweh religiously. They, they had to share religious, political ancestral history. They, they studied Judaism, right? They, they practice it, right? And then, so you had this group of people all the way since Genesis chapter 12, when Genesis, when God said to Abram, Abram, right? All these things are going on. All this is happening. Do you guys remember what's before Genesis 12? It's not a trick question. Genesis 11. Yes. Genesis 11. I don't, for some of you who may know, Genesis 11 is what's going on. It's the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, God was like, listen, you know, in Genesis chapter 9, he says, I'm going to commission you guys. I want you guys to spread the, word, spread the earth, subdue the earth, fulfill, you know, fulfill it, multiply, spread. And, the guy, and man was like, yeah, guess what? We got a better plan. Instead of doing what God said, how about we build our own tower, our own thing, and let's build our heavens up to God. So I don't want to get to God based upon God's desire of how I get to God. I'm going to get to God based upon how we want to get to God. We're going to build our way, work ourselves up to God. Right? And so basically they did that. And so in Genesis chapter 11, God says, hey, I, got this, I can't let this happen. And so what does he do? He divides them with languages and all that, he confuses them and they end up spreading because they don't know what each other's saying, right? And then out of that, in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Abram, 
I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing for other people. And from that time is where when we start seeing in the Bible this distinction between Jews and Gentiles. It was God's covenant people that he separated from because he wanted to show that even when man is faithless, I am still faithful. And, he has, and, he, and all we see is the history all the way from Genesis um, chapter 12 all the way through Jesus' time is the unfaithfulness of God's covenant people. But even though God... Even though they were unfaithful, God is still being faithful. And he says, but I'm separating. He says, the things that you do, things like circumcision and bathing and rituals and all these things, is like these are uncommon practices to those that are outside Gentile world. He says, but for you, you're my people. And I need you to be ceremonially clean. I need you to be religiously clean. I need you to be clean before me. And so we walk through all of that, and we see that, and so in here, now, Paul is coming on and says, that he says, hey, this mystery, guess what, even though centuries ago, through Abraham, through David, and through all the great um, Israelites, that now, that were, that, were, that were in him, now, guess what, I got an announcement, and God wants to reveal this announcement, and guess what he says, the announcement, and here's the point. What is the announcement of this mystery? Verse 6, verse 6, he says this. Here's the announcement. This was made known to people in other generations and is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, partners in the promise of Christ Jesus. And they're like, what? That's not, that's not the announcement. Did you ever had like, you, you've been waiting all this time for news, and then you finally get the news, and it's like, that's not the news I wanted to hear. You talk about the person I have beef with, the person that I don't even walk through their city, because I don't want even my, their dust to be there. I walk all the way around the people that have been oppressing me. You got to understand that right now that the Jews have been in oppression for over 400 years. That at the end of the book of Malachi, we see over and over again the oppression of a people. And this oppression was done by the Gentiles. That you had Persia first. And after Persia, Alexander the Great rose up and then they were under the Greek oppression. And now even currently when the Bible was written, they were under Roman oppression. And so time after time after time, and then Paul was like, hey, I got this grand announcement. You, I've been talking about the grace of God and the poema of God, though, that he has created this masterpiece. It's like, oh, man, I'm on heel, you know, I'm on pins and needles. I want to hear what this masterpiece is. And at the end of the masterpiece, he says, this is the masterpiece that Gentiles, they're co-heirs with us. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the same promise. And so he's like, what, what, what is happening that Jews and Gentiles are now equal when it comes to God's eyes or in God's spiritual family? That we're no longer, like we're, that we, we're sharing our inheritance with them? Right? That, that as Paul already talked about, that those who used to be far are now near to God? 
Right? And so he makes this announcement that you're co-heirs. They're a part of the same family. They are co-members. That God is doing this multi-ethnic thing. That he's bringing Jew and Gentile together and he's going to weave it together. That Gentiles are now members of the same family. That God didn't just save us just to be in relationship with him. He saved us to be a part of his family. A family that is made up of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, black and white. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean? To hide that, that's not, you talk about that we got to be in the same body. We got to worship together with the people that have oppressed, who put us in slavery for the last 400 years. That, that's not, that wasn't the message. That Paul, and so Paul is talking about how joyful and happy he is, but he's like, listen, but like all the while people's like, but Paul, you're in prison because of that message. The people don't even like you because of that message. This message that has been revealed that the church, that, that we recognize that from the very beginning that the church has been consisted of all believers, of all different ethnic groups and all different nationalities. But they didn't like that. He says, not only that, not only are we co-heirs, not only are we co-members, we were also co-laborers. That this message is not only available for the Jew, but it's also available for the Gentile. You see, this is not the first, because even in the, in the Old Testament, you can become what they call a proselyte or a Jew or someone who converted into Judaism. But see, in that, you had to both kind of throw off all of your culture and now become basically a functioning Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all the Jewish rites and take on all the practices and all things. You had to be functionally become a Jew in order to experience the covering or the blessings of Yahweh. And so here, he was just like, guess what? God has even broken that, that we are now co-laborers. We are co, that, that word in there is kononia, that we are fellow participants and taking the gospel, that we share in this, that it's no longer limited to just those that are Jew or even have to become like those that are Jew. Jesus would command his disciples to be a disciple and to make disciples of all nations. This is the very thing that, that Jesus has been talking about from the beginning, but you know how we have selective hearing? Like, you know, we, it's been stated, but you know, we hear what we want to hear. At the very commission, Jesus, he says, go stand on the mountain, be there for 50 days. They waited. Jesus shows up to them. He reminds them that he's real. Doubting Thomas pokes hand. Like, he's like, I'm real, Thomas. Right? He goes and he says, all authority has been given to me. On heaven, in heaven and in earth, all authority. He says, now go make disciples of just your nation. Is that what he said? No, he didn't say this to go make disciples of your nation, of your people group, of people who look like you, talk like you, and act like you. He didn't say that. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, but guess what? This is what's going on, is that even though they may identify with another nation, I'm building and making my own nation. And this nation will be known for those that have been baptized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are this nation will identify with me. And don't just do that, but then teach them to obey all that I command. Yes. Yes. And it's those people that I will be with, that I'm present with. And, and then after that, it was just like, I, I get it, Jesus. Yeah, let's go make disciples of my nation because I love my people. 
So after that, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' ascension, right before Jesus' ascension, he's about to be raised to the heavens, what happens then? He said, what, you remember the question that was asked? It was like, Jesus, now is the time to put Israel on top? That was the question, Acts chapter 1. Like, they, they, they missed all the nation talk. And then it was probably even cool, like, I'm cool with all the nation talk, as long as we're the top nation. So, Jesus, is it time to put us on top? Jesus is like, no. The power you seek, that's, that's not the power that I'm given. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But this power is to be power that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And guess what he even did? He says, this is to validate this. You know, on the day of Pentecost, where all the different nations would come together to celebrate, he basically had the people speak in tongues. And he was just like, even though they're speaking in other people's nation's language, I can understand them in my nation. What God was doing, I believe what God was doing is that he was reversing in the body of Christ what happened at Babel, what he did at Pentecost. And he said all nations that were separated are now becoming one nation in Christ. And so what we see this taking place is that we see in Christ, but guess what the Jews, guess what the Christians, he was like, we'll do better this time, right? He's like, yeah, 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 no, I got a better way, God. Let's build our own modern-day Tower of Babel. And guess what happens? Success. If you just track Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, thousands of people coming to know Jesus, thousands of people. But there's one problem. All the people looked like them, talked like them, acted like them. They were all Jews. They were all Jews. And it was just like, this is great. We're building our modern-day Tower of Babel, our mega church, all these thousands of people. Look at God. Let's all celebrate what's going on. But the problem was the commission. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And he was just like, nah, I know that, but instead, let's just keep it in Jerusalem. I love it here. This is great. This is great. But what did Jesus do? God says, nah. All nations. So what does he do? He raises up a man named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus murders Stephen, Acts chapter 7. And then would you see, well, where's the grace of God in that? Persecution hit the church for the first time. Where's the grace of God? The grace of God is in Acts chapter 8, where it says, because of persecution, the word of God began to spread to Judea and Samaria and then next thing you know, in the, by the Acts 13, we're now into all nations. We're covering the earth. And it's because God is passionate that we get this. That he, that he wants us to understand that this is not up to you. That I'm passionate about all nations. That I'm, that I'm, that I'm illustrating, that I'm taking all these 13 colors. And I'm doing something. I'm doing something in you and through you. And so we see this happen. And so by the time that it comes that by Acts chapter 13, they, Acts 13, it was like 
they're not even just only the Jewish people anymore. There's like all people. He's just like, we can't even, like, what do we call them now? It's like, we got to call them Christians. Because they're followers of Christ. And that's the one thing that identifies themselves. That Christ becomes, and that we begin to see that this mystery as being, is being revealed. And so what Paul basically says is that he gives us his point. He says, let me double-click on that to make sure that you understand that God's workmanship is that he has made Gentiles, he has made you and I co-heirs with Christ, members of the same body, partakers of the promises, that when we think about the inheritance, we are recipients, that we are all God's children. Those who proclaim the name of Jesus, that accept the free gift of God, are all Christ Jesus. He says, I need you to get that. I need you to understand that. But then he goes on, he says, but let me just say, why? Why is that so important to you, God? He says, it is so important because, verse 10, it's so important. Verse 10. Well, let me, let's go back up a little. Verse 8, it says, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, Paul was just like, I'm, I don't even deserve to be the deliverer of this message, but God gave it to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. You remember all those riches that we've been talking about in the first three chapters? Those are also for the Gentiles, the incalculable riches of Christ. And it says, and to shed light for all. Don't miss that. You see, Paul's reasoning Paul's purposes, one, is to proclaim the message to the Gentiles and to shed light to all, that's everybody, about the stewardship or the administration of this mystery that has been hidden for the ages in God, who created all things. But still, why are you, what, I, I still don't get it. Well, why is that so important? And he says, here's the reason why God is making his mystery known in the revelation, because there's this thing that you don't read about in the New Testament or the Old Testament. And this revelation is called the church. The ecclesia, the called out ones. God is calling out a people of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women, rich and poor. He's making this beautiful tapestry of people that are called together. The people that we don't normally get together with, right? We don't normally get, to, like they say most people, you get together with people who look like you, talk like you, around the same economic bracket as you, right? That, that's kind of how life works. He's like, listen, like I'm, I'm tearing down all of those things and I'm bringing in this, this master party of people and bringing all these things together. People that the world say, you, you aren't not getting along with them, that something's happening. He says, the least of all these things that I'm here to share the light of this mystery that's been hidden. And this is, here it is. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. Why are you going through all of this work? Why would Christ do all of this? Why is God bringing through his spirit, bringing people together? Why is God calling so many different people? He says, because this thing, this mystery called the church, the, the, this workmanship that I'm doing, I'm bringing it together and I'm making this masterpiece and I'm, and I'm weaving it together and it's going to make sense, right? 
and you know that it's going to be, the way it's going to be manifested is through the church. It's through the church. You see, one of the things that you got to understand that I'm not, I'm not against at all homogeneous churches. I think that the church ought to reflect the neighborhood in which it's in. I do have somewhat of a problem of a church being less diverse than the local high school that it's in. Because God has given us, he's called us to be missionaries to our neighbors. And, you know, they are, we already wrestled with that question. Well, who's my neighbor? And what did Jesus say? Basically, anybody who crosses your path, that's your neighbor. But the, but the Jews that crossed my path? No. The Samaritans? No, not, not just this. Uh, but the Samaritans, the Gentiles, anybody, those who are broken, those who are like anybody, those are your neighbors. See, part of this is that I really believe is that we have to shift to not solely, I don't think there's a problem, but not solely leading out with an ethnic missiology. That's what so many of us, we lead with an ethnic missiology. Paul said he was a, a missionary to the Gentiles. But we have to move more towards to a neighbor missiology. When we're looking to what is my neighbor and what happens when our neighbors no longer look like us, talk like us? Are we going to do what the church has tradi traditionally done? Well, I guess we got to move to the suburbs or we got to move to the rural or we got to move to a group of people who look like us, talk like us and act like us. Is that, is that the solution? And that may be the solution for some. But what he's saying that that's not the only solution. He says, here's the reason why. Homogeneous churches oftentimes can hide homogeneous sins. Right? There's a thing that we have, it's, you know, it's called olfactory fatigue. You know what olfactory fatigue is? Olfactory fatigue is that thing when you go into a room and you smell, and you're like, there's a scent. Like, this, this smells in here. And then you, you stay in the room for long enough, you think that the smell goes away. Right? But then the next person comes in, and it's like, what's that smell? He's like, oh, I thought the smell went away. No, you just got used to that smell. Like, our olfactory senses that we get fatigued. And so the only way oftentimes we can really understand the grace of God is by one, is that either we have to get out and get fresh air or we're introduced by new people who are not used to our patterns. You see, and so what God is saying is like, listen, I'm bringing Jew, Gentile, slave, free men and women because you guys, are, you guys within your own self that you guys got used to your patterns and it's limiting me. I'm not able to display my beauty. There's only one person to ever walk the earth that had all the gifts of God, and that was Jesus. The Bible says the fullness of God dwelled in him. But if we are part of the church, you gotta understand, and all you gotta do is look at my children, that because of me, all my children has my greatest strengths, but they also have my greatest weaknesses, right? And what happens is that if I make microcosms of myself, I make lopsided minimes of me. But if we want to see the full, what the Bible says, pleroma of God or the full manifestation of God, we recognize that I need people who don't look like me, who don't talk like me, who don't act like me, who don't vote like me. And we need to come together and we need to submit and it's like, but where's the, the unity? The Bible answers this. In Galatians chapter 5, he says the unity comes, the, this is a new thing, that the, that the church will be known for its love. 
from a pure heart, a sincere faith, a clear conscience, that we're known by the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so this is how we are known, that we are known because we are able to love people that we're not supposed to be able to love. We are known because we stick with people that we're not supposed to be able to stick with. That God shows a supernatural power in us because, and, and, then we, and he causes Christians that it's revealing of this mystery because we now have a new identity. That our identity doesn't stop making us black or white or Hispanic or Asian. It doesn't stop making us, but what it does, it says that we are no longer defined by the adjective before Christian. We are more defined by Christian. That we are in him. And Paul says, before I get into any of this other stuff, I have to make sure you understand that. The rest, like Paul, next week we're going to talk about why Paul goes into praying because like even though I'm looking at you guys and I know and I even think about myself, I was like, I don't really get it because I still got problems with certain people. I still struggle with prejudice. I still have my hangups. I still like and so Paul is like, I know, I know this is, this is supernatural stuff. So let me just go back into praying for you. And so Paul again prays on our behalf. He prays on behalf of the church that we would get it, that God has revealed this mystery to us. And so he encourages them. He encourages them. He says that this revealed mystery is revealed in him. And we are to continually to display this mystery. So in him, we see this tapestry that at the very beginning, it was just yawn put together. But as he unfolds it, that we see what's taking place. And this is still, and the work is not done, but you start to see what God is doing. That in him, he is making something beautiful that doesn't make sense individually in, in our own microcosm, but he's doing something that in him, he's, he is. He is our Alpha, he is our Omega. People who could not be together, God is putting together his masterpiece so that we talk about in the end of Revelation, he says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And before his throne, people from every tribe, every nation, every will be before God worshiping him. And I guarantee you those people didn't have the same political beliefs. They didn't have the same, they, had, they all had a variety of different prejudices. They had a lot of different shortcomings. It wasn't like God is like, it was like I, can, I can deal with these shortcomings, but I can't deal with those shortcomings. He was just like, I died for all of that. And what we have is our advocate, Christ, who stands before the Father advocating on our behalf and, and on your behalf. And that advocation is not just so that we can be with him, but our, he's advocating so that we can be with one another. And see, the, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I'm closing with this. And we're going to take some communion. Christ's manifold wisdom is displayed in Christ. Our God, 
but it's ultimately to be displayed through the church. And so don't you realize that it makes sense for the enemy to want to divide his people? To be all at war? Because he wants to discredit that God has reconciled, but, he, but Christ says, like he made it real clear, he says, no longer do we look at one another according to the flesh, but there's a new thing that I'm doing. God has reconciled the world to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors and you know what our one message is? Be reconciled be reconciled, that we are God's prophets. The purpose of a prophet is to return people back to covenant faithfulness to God. And Paul is saying that there's no such thing as covenant faithfulness with hate for your brother, hate for your sister, and that he needs to remind us. And so here's the point. God sees us in Christ, but the world ought to see Christ in us. God sees us in Christ because we're in him. But when we gather and we sing our hallelujahs together, the world ought to see Christ in us. But the question is, is what, is he, what, what does the world see? Do he see all that we're against? Do we see our political things? What does, he, what does the world see? Because here's the thing. God's mystery is no longer a secret. But he's called people like you and I to take his message to the nations. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer for us as a church, and that's our prayer for us is that we would be the manifold wisdom or the multifaceted wisdom of God's wisdom, of God, of Christ to the world. So we're going to celebrate this and we're going to take a time of communion. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.